0: Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.
1: And welcome to In the Oil Patch radio show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto along with my co-host, David Blackman. And we have a great show lined up for you today. We'll be talking with Dan Nets, the Executive Vice President of IPAA. But first, I want to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Bendel was on the cover, and prior to that was Moda Midstream, in which they just announced a $3 billion sale to Enbridge. If you want to learn more about our latest issue, Bendel, or Moda Midstream, please visit shellmag.com. You can actually read all about it, and it is free with our digital issue. I'd also like to tell you about an upcoming mixer set for October the 7th. It is an all-stream mixer at the Hilton Doubletree Sky Lounge in Midland, Texas. It's an event you don't want to miss. If you want to build your business, bring plenty of business cards, we'll have great door prizes. Our speakers will be the Honorable Jason Isaac, who is with the Texas Public Policy Foundation discussing energy and what happened this past session, and of course, talking about what The policy, Texas Public Policy Foundation, is working on. We'll also be joined by Vance Jinn, who is also going to talk to us about property taxes. There was a lot of things that happened this past session here in Texas pertaining to property taxes. We know that property taxes have been on the rise. So if you're a homeowner or wanting information on becoming a homeowner and how property taxes will affect you, you definitely want to attend October 7th. It is from 545 to 745. Once again, it is an all-stream mixer at the Hilton Doubletree Sky Lounge. For more information, go to shellmag.com and click on the banner ad in which it'll take you straight to purchase your tickets to attend. Please don't wait, as this, I promise you, will be a sold-out event. And now it's time for me to welcome all my co-host and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show.
2: Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch.
1: It sure is. And I'm excited because coming up, we have our guest from IPAA, Dan Nats. But before we bring him on, I want to talk about oil and natural gas prices. They're rallying again this week. And Bank of America is again saying that oil prices could rise to $100 Uh, next year and uh we've been on the air a long time we talk about when we start hearing a hundred dollars a barrel um you know is that truthful is it not so i guess my question is first of all do you believe that potentially could be and is it coming any sooner than that or is it next year what are your thoughts on the prices
2: yeah i you know i I, honestly it's all you know kind of consistent with what we've been saying all year kim um I, I do think $100 oil is very possible next year, uh, unless you have a very substantial economic downfall. Uh, if you know you have another major, major outbreak of COVID that causes uh, countries to shut down their economies again. Um, but but barring all of that, you know the the reality is that demand for crude oil. Despite all of the narratives on climate and everything else we hear uh, every day, uh, demand for crude oil is very strong. It's stronger now than it was in 2019 before COVID hit. Uh, It's only going to continue to grow from here. And, and so oil production, you know, we have room to grow global oil production for the next several months uh, through the OPEC plus deal. And they're going to be putting more and more volumes of oil back onto the market. But Ultimately, we haven't invested enough in new reserves since 2014. And ultimately, at some point, there's going to be a train wreck of mm-hmm. supply and demand. We're just not going to have enough oil production to go around. And that could happen next year. It could be, I still think it'll be maybe at the end of next year or early 2023. But when that happens, uh, yes, then oil prices will uh, skyrocket and $100 could be a floor, not a ceiling. And, wow! Uh, you know, it it could be very ugly. And and then you know, of course, right now we we also have the American government uh, trying to restrict our own oil production here in the right. United States, which is insane. And and so, you know, all these factors are just going to ultimately, at some point, come
1: together. Uh,
2: come together, and it's going to be very expensive for consumers.
1: And once again, as I always say, the average consumer is going to. You know carry this burden and and below it the indigent yeah. the elderly these yeah. higher prices though david that we're seeing do you are we going to start seeing more activity again with uh, the drillers and or and the energy uh, producers and suppliers are they going to start responding yeah. of course as the analysts predict that we're going to get to this amount <clears throat> what do we see in the past yeah i
2: i mean i i think we're already seeing a a, a gradual increase it's still not robust increase in the rig count uh, and the amount of drilling that's taking place particularly in the permian basin and and to a lesser extent in some of the other basins Um, but honestly i i think it's going to continue to be very muted i i I, you know companies will want to drill somewhat more wells but they're so focused and have so much pressure from their investors Mm-hmm. To, to focus on uh, returns to investors and their ESG, their environmental uh, concerns uh, within their companies that uh, I don't expect drilling, you know, to have any kind of a boom like we had uh, in the Permian Basin from 2016 through 2019. Uh, but yeah, it, it'll continue to increase at a very slow pace.
1: Let's switch gears and talk about the $3.5 trillion budget that the Democrats continue to move this uh. bill through the various committees, even as we speak. What are some of the damaging potentials pertaining yeah. to oil and gas? Um, because, you know, people just <laughs> – you, you, if they get this passed, it's going to be wonderful, the environmentalists think. But these are the same people who show up at a rally and saying, you need to stop this. But they <laughs> come in with – their vehicles and and they're mm-hmm. wearing makeup and they have their and clothes on clothes and, and yes yeah, they yeah. don't understand you're going to take all that off of you because you probably won't even be able to afford it anymore what's yeah. going to happen to the oil and gas industry should this 3.5 trillion dollar bill pass
2: well it's it'll be very bad and not just for the oil and gas industry but for consumers you know one of the one of the very worst provisions in there is is what they're calling a methane emissions tax that uh, Will place a, ga- a tax on natural gas at, at when it's produced. Uh, place a tax on the same gas when it's transported through a pipeline. Place a tax on the same gas when it is used at the endpoint, whether it's for heating your home, or in your utility bill, your electric utility bill, or in fertilizers, uh, in uh, clothing manufacturing, in all sorts of things, food production. Uh, that impact prices for everything you pay. And so yes, it'll be a burden on the oil and gas industry, but ultimately it's gonna be this enormous inflationary burden on consumers, which as you always point out, is going to hit hardest the poorest among us. And, And these are unfortunately the folks who continue to vote for the Democrats who are voting for this tax to be put into place. It's just one of those crazy things about American society that doesn't seem to really make any sense. But that's really who's going to pay for this bill is consumers, and it's it's a real tragedy,
1: frankly. And, you know, I, I also want to just clarify, uh, I don't really have a problem with the Democratic Party or anything. And I think there are many great Democrat elected officials, especially here in Texas, um, we're talking about when we get to D.C., there just seems to be something different with those Democrats and uh, or, or, or how they look at things, even though they might be from Texas Democrats um, that are, you know, now serving in D.C. Um, but it also seems like it's the ones that are very very uh, opinionated when it comes down to climate climate change and uh, they're willing to flip the switch and try to regulate the oil and gas industry out but I don't know if they just are not informed you just can't do that and it isn't a matter of dollar and cents it's a matter of life and death for a yeah. lot of the vulnerable people, I think if they really understood that this is the consequences, the unintended consequences, they probably would be saying, let's hold on a minute and let's talk about this. Because it is the ones that pay the, we all pay the burden, but they're the ones with less. Is there anything specifically in there that they, besides that methane gas that is concerning you or worrying you?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there there are all sorts of things. I mean, there all are, sorts there of bad things in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, some of them are that that the industry is complaining about really are not unreasonable, like uh, increasing the the royalty percentage for production from federal lands. Frankly, it's below market. I mean, it's 12.5% and has been forever. Whereas if you do uh, for for leases that are signed on private lands, the standard royalty rate is double that, 25% so yeah i mean i think it might make sense to increase the royalty rate on federal oil and gas production but then some of the fee increases they're talking about um and and some of the other regulatory provisions that are contained in this bill will just you know crowd oil and gas production off of federal lands and make it too expensive to operate in the gulf of mexico which produces 15 percent of our crude oil here in the united states and and it's just a lot of crazy Uh, ill-advised provisions that are going to have an awful lot of unintended consequences on our society that they're just trying to cram into this bill and rush it through without anybody having time to truly analyze and digest and the, the impacts it will have on our
1: society. And let's talk about that, because that is so un-American. That is not the American way. You sit on the House floor and you debate the bill of what's happening, and you have time to uh, consider it. How come these things are not happening anymore in D.C.? It's just cram everything through $3.5 trillion, $3.5 well, they, trillion, yeah. and no one's going to talk about this bill?
2: Yeah, I mean, if they don't want the, the public to have any time to, to analyze it and digest it because they know it'll become so unpopular if they do. It's just like the, the nationalization of healthcare uh, in 2009. They they rushed it through, they crammed it through without debate, 3,000 page bill, and we've all had to live with it since then. Uh, but it, it it's, it's intentionally because they don't want any real media reporting, any real investigation on these provisions that they just try to cram it all in, rush it through without any committee hearings, any real process that's supposed to be a part of our federal system of government. Right, right. And it's its really a shame.
1: It really is. David, that is all the time we have for this segment, but coming back from break, we will be joined by Dan Nats, who is the Senior Vice President of IPAA. You're listening to and the Wall Patch Radio Show. And we'll be right back.
0: And Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org.
1: And now, David, it is time for us to welcome on our guest, Dan Nats, who is the Executive Vice President for IPAA. Dan, welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show.
3: Uh, Kim and David, thank you for having me. I appreciate being on.
1: Well, before we get into all of the oil and gas discussions and what's happening in D.C. and what some of, the, some of the associations like IPAA are doing to help the oil and gas industry, let's talk quickly about what are you guys basically your mission to try to get accomplished pertaining to the energy sector?
3: We are the Independent Petroleum Association of America. We uh, we're based in Washington, and we represent um, the upstream portion of the industry and, and strictly independent producers. So uh, our average member size is still about 20 to 25 people. Uh, we ha- represent bigger companies, uh, some of them publicly traded, many of them smaller than that. Uh, uh, small uh, mom and pop operators uh, throughout the country uh, operate. Uh, we have members in 34 states. Um, wow. And so uh, yeah, it's still you know when you talk about the independent uh, independent uh, industry, independent production, um, I think it's still roughly uh, 85 to 90 percent of uh, production um, oil um, comes from independent producers still. so uh, uh, we're vigorous <laughs> active part. Of, uh of the industry uh, our, our, of the oil and gas economy and certainly IPAA is there to advocate with Congress and with the regulatory agencies on a variety of issues
1: making your organization extremely important considering that so much of the majority of what's producing oil and gas in our nation and globally is independent producers as opposed to what you would you would think because there's the large uh, integrated companies that take up most of the platform and what they're doing gets a lot of the attention. Um, hey, Kim,
2: Kim, sure. could I just chime in for just a second? I have yeah. long experience working with Dan and, and the folks at IPAA from my time in the industry. And, and he's a little modest. I just, I just want to add that from my perspective as a person who worked with all the trade associations in Washington for 25 years, really. yes, um, IPAA has always been, uh, the industry's most important voice in Washington, D.C., because of, of just what Dan just talked about. It represents the real people in this industry, not just the big corporations. And I respect API and the others, but IPAA represents those little guys, that that the, the mom and pops and the family businesses and just does a, a tremendous service to the industry. And uh, everyone really... Should, should appreciate what they do in Washington.
1: That's true, David. You're
3: very, you're very kind. Thank you very much.
1: That's true. Not to mention all of the millions of jobs produced by this very, very large amount of independent operators. Before we move into what's happening in D.C., I want to give you an opportunity, Dan, to ask you a little bit about your colleagues and your hearing, your members that are in Louisiana and Mississippi that are being affected by Hurricane Ida. What is going on there? What are you hearing out there from your members?
3: We have that's First of all, it's a great question, and uh, again, it goes without saying that our, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to to Louisiana. We have a lot of members that operate in Louisiana, less in Mississippi, but obviously, it's a it's an unbelievable situation with the hurricane and, and as they're moving. As far as the industry goes, um, uh, you know, they'll as always. Uh, the industry was uh, very efficient at uh, shutting in production in the Gulf, making sure that that was done. Um, that process takes a little time to get back up. You know, you don't turn these things off and on like a hose. Um, you've got a. it takes a time to shut it down, which they did and it'll take time to bring it back up. Um, but so far um, from the production side, uh, we've heard, um, you know, uh, that things are going pretty well. It'll take some time, obviously in the refining side, which we don't represent Kim, but we're, you know, we really rely on them Friendly. they're going to be working, they're going to be working on that as well so hopefully you won't see much of a much of a uh, impact um, as far as supply and other activities been reading some of the trade press but uh, certainly uh, you know the human uh, the human impact uh, is going to be big The industry again as you talk about the role that uh, our producers play in those local communities um, it's really important uh, you need to have companies that are locally based companies that understand what they're doing and so often not just the oil and gas industry but that's more than the federal government helping out it's those type of communities that bring people back get going and and can move forward. So um, uh, from the business side, I think the supply issue will be addressed. It seems to be on track. From the human uh, side, we hope, uh, uh, you know, things move quickly.
1: Well, Dan, before we, we jump into the policy, we're going to take a quick break. But before we do, I want to ask my colleague, you know, over this past weekend, we had our live show with uh, Jason Modlin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Ent- Energy Producers. There were a lot of calls that came in on climate change. And I yep. want briefly, David, for you to talk about the concept of it seems like if you listen to people uh, out there in the public that, uh, you know, hurricanes are getting worse. They're getting bigger. They're more frequent. And um, that ne- isn't necessarily the case. So break that down quickly. No, what is it, it, I mean, it's, it's,
2: it's not the case at all, frankly. Uh, actually, the frequency of, of major hurricane events in, in the Atlantic Basin. Has dropped considerably during this century, and uh, there's been really no change in the the relative intensity of each storm. Um, I talk about this all the time, and write about it a lot. And uh, you know, we've we've had Michael Schellenberger and other experts on this show talking about that and why it's such a fallacy in all the climate change discussion. I, you know, I mean, still to this day, the the worst hurricane to ever hit the United States was the the Great Storm of 1900 that decimated the city of Galveston. That's 121 years ago before anyone ever talked about climate change. Uh, Eight to 12,000 people lost their lives that day. That's more than have lost their lives in every combined hurricane that's hit the United States since that time. And, and so we need to keep these things in perspective. I'm not saying sitting here saying climate change is not an issue. I'm not saying that hurricanes are not a problem, but, but mankind has done a wonderful job uh, of advancing our technology and our infrastructure and ability to deal with these storms. And and we need to deal with climate change as it exists from a position of reality and not these these false narratives that just permeate our news media.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Our prayers are with the people that are uh, enduring Hurricane Ida. I know personally, my husband and I, we've gone through two, Hurricane uh, Hannah and Hurricane Harvey, and they're not fun. So my prayers are with them. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Wolf Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. The 23rd World Petroleum
4: Congress brings the global industry to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, December 5th through 9th, 2021, for a week of forward-looking conversation that will shape the future of energy. The Congress will be centered around the theme of innovative energy solutions, drawing inspiration from the innovative spirit of the industry over the decades. Delegates can expect robust strategic, technical, and U.S. programs with perspectives from government leaders, CEOs, academia, and other expert speakers on the industry trends, as well as creative solutions and best practices. to address current energy challenges. Delegates will have the opportunity to attend industry inside luncheons and numerous networking events that will build new professional relationships and strengthen existing ones. Also, they can explore the Congress exhibition where leading international companies will showcase their innovations. Make your mark at the World Petroleum Congress and be a part of the beginning of what's next. To learn more and register, visit www.23wpchouston.com. That's www.23wpchouston.com.
1: We're back. You're listening to In the old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dan Natz, the executive vice president of IPAA.
2: Hey, Dan, let's let's uh, go ahead and start talking about policy here. Um, we we have a lot to talk about. My goodness. Um, start with the, the, the lawsuit uh, that uh, IPAA and a dozen other of the industry's trade associations have had to file against the Biden administration and continue to pursue Um related to its moratorium uh, on leasing on federal lands that the president announced. uh, I think it was his first day in office might have been the second day. Um, Talk about, you know, why that lawsuit was necessary. I mean, here we are, it was supposed to last 30 days. Here we are uh, eight months down the road. um, We we still have a problem. Um, Talk about why the lawsuit was necessary and, and give us a status update on where it stands.
3: Sure. Happy to, David. So first of all, you hit it on the head, Uh, President Biden, the first day that he was in, put a moratorium on uh, leasing uh, onshore federal lands, offshore lands. Um, It was supposed to be a short term uh, uh, issue as they kind of resettled and looked as the new administration took place. Um, uh, That did not happen, Um, uh, which was always our fear that this uh, this leasing moratorium was going to go on and on and and that's happened and so we joined with uh, api and a thank you thank you to api um, and a number of other uh, trade associations again we don't we don't file litigation lightly we don't do it happily um but there was a need um to um to file because what was happening is for our members that operate on federal lands without the ability to lease Um, And and I'll just stress this real quickly, David, one of the things that's come out of the administration and other folks have said, well, um, you know, production was still happening, uh, permits were being issued. But as you know, um, it's uh, the industry always has to be looking forward, and so you right. have to lease, you have to put packages together. If you're talking that's onshore, if you're talking about offshore, those things take years to get going. You have to do lease sales, you got to acquire the the funding both sides. Um, so this leasing ban, uh, which the administration sent, then also did an interim report, or they were going to produce an interim report. We're still waiting to see that. So. If Finally, we felt compelled uh, to to, to um, join in the lawsuit. The states, a number of states, filed. Um, there's uh, activity in the um, in the um, uh, district court in Wyoming. The the practical effect, the Interior has come out now and and said they're going to have to do it. The court mandated that they do a lease sale in the offshore. They're also going to do some onshore activities, but still really concerned because as you know following these issues and anybody who's operated on federal lands the power of the federal regulatory agencies to slow that down um uh, is is significant so they've said they're gonna open up do lease sales but they want to do a look um at uh, at everything um uh, again our uh we're skeptical on on how much real activity is going to be happening but we are pleased that the courts said look you got to do this they've been court ordered again the last thing I'll say on this: the the administration said, "Look, we want to, we're going to move forward." Well, it's really because the court mandated that they do that. So, right. we're still waiting on this interim report. Um, so, there's a lot of uh, jumps that still have to happen.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, this administration, uh, unfortunately, the president has has uh, already established that he he really. Um, doesn't mind just uh, ignoring court orders as he as he did with the with the uh, foreclosure or the eviction moratorium mm-hmm. the first of august not, not that that's relevant to what we're talking about but it is relevant just in terms of the attitude of this administration has already demonstrated towards the courts and, and the orders that they get and and i just I also just want to follow up you, you you talked about the ability of interior to slow the the permitting processes and and things like that have, have we seen you know we saw that big time during the Obama years I just wonder are we seeing that uh, taking place again in the Biden administration has the time period really noticeably lengthened uh, that it takes to get a permit issued
1: Hey We've Dan been, before I, you answer that because I want to give you time oops. to answer that that's okay let's just take a quick break real quick and then when we come back give okay. you the floor you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back.
4: SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company. Established in 2012 by co-founders Steven Snyder and Ryan Berthold, SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals or dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662, or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today.
0: Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com.
1: we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Dan Nats, who is the executive vice president of IPAA. Dan, before the break, uh, David and I were asking about uh, y'all's position, IPAA, pertaining to the lawsuit that you guys filed from the Biden administration that you guys were successful. But realistically, how long is the regulations or the delays that you guys anticipate? And do you see more litigation having to come down the road to force this administration to do what the courts are telling them to do
3: yeah kim uh you know it's a great question and i will first of all say we we've talked to a lot of our members around the country i'll talk onshore first um some of it depends on from state to state which is always what happens uh you know different state directors uh that uh, handle these issues for the bureau of land management move at a different pace but um uh the power of those regulatory agencies to slow things down to add make more uh, reviews make additional environmental reviews additional cultural reviews Um, it's really the power of the federal government Um, and same thing in the offshore so um, you know although we are happy that they're complying the ability of regulatory agencies much less epa and others to to slow that process down um, is significant, using the National Environmental Policy Act, using the Endangered Species Act. Um, and again, the challenge that we face is for our members, again, a lot of them, as we talked about earlier, very small uh, family-run operations, they have to secure, either. you know, you're always working ahead. They're always yeah. working over the horizon. Uh, when By the time you're producing, um, that's important obviously you need oil and natural gas production but you're always looking at the next lease you're looking at putting packages together so as the federal agencies slow that down um i i fear the the message that's being sent is we really don't want you to come on federal lands to do what is so vital to many of those communities which is a, a multiple use of federal lands and i'll uh, my colleagues always laugh about it but it is a bedrock i'm a westerner it's the bedrock of mineral policy federal land management policy in the united states which is you can have oil and natural gas you can have recreation you can have agriculture all on the same land um so it's important that you do that because for small communities um, in wyoming in north dakota in new mexico uh, that's really key to uh, to do it when so much of the states are owned by the federal government wyoming for example has 50 percent federal ownership And I know yeah. in Texas, that you just scratch your head. Some of them are bigger than that, so you really have to have a partnership with the federal government. And that partnership, at this point, seems to our members at least pretty one-sided. Yeah.
2: Well, let's 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 talk about this 3.5 trillion dollar budget reconciliation bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know IPAA and and your members have a great deal of concern about some of the provisions, particularly the tax and, and fee provisions that are. Are uh, uh, being inserted into that bill. Give us some details on on the kinds of things that are going into that thing.
3: Yeah, uh, David. It is. I've been in Washington now 30 years and working oil and gas issues probably over 25. I think it's not um, it's not unreasonable to say that this bill is the biggest threat to American oil and natural gas production that I've ever seen. Um, uh, the budget reconciliation package. It's huge. It's 3.5 trillion dollars. Set that aside. Um, the way that they're going to try to make major changes in policy um, is is significant for our members. And you talk about that on the tax side, uh, at least what they've proposed and what they're pursuing is a total elimination of intangible drilling costs of percentage depletion of marginal well tax credits uh, onshore raising royalty rates from 12.5 percent the royalty that is very much needed you know the federal government's a part of it raising that from 12.5 to 20 percent um i was talking to somebody yesterday and said all of that is going to members then have to think when they're making decisions to go operate on federal lands that's a significant tax at some level um, yeah. when you have to pay that royalty um, the length of leases is going down um, and then the, there's a new thing that's come out uh, on both the house and the senate side um, that the progressives have launched which is a methane emissions fee um, mm-hmm. uh, again we understand how important addressing methane issues is and our members are looking at that working with state regulatory agencies working with the federal agencies but this is a whole new fee that quite honestly we've had some pretty big tax minds look at it we're not even sure how it would work Um, (laughs) but it just keeps plunging forward and you can't even get a positive you can't even get the score of how much money it would generate how much it would cost and again i think um, as you put all these things together. The issue that we're also so very concerned about is the speed at which this is happening. Um, uh, Speaker Pelosi and uh, uh, Chuck Schumer have said they want this bill done by October 1st. Many of these legislative ideas haven't even had a hearing much less a markup and other discussions. So it's um, it's something that we're, we're really concerned about and, and working hard um, uh, because it's a it's a serious threat to American producers across the
1: board. And, you know, Dan, you bring up a good point as far as if it's a threat. I think what the American people need to recognize, along with all of these new regulations and taxes that are going to apply, you know, right now, as we speak about Hurricane Ida and the devastation that's happening out there, you know, last night's media report painted a pretty bleak picture picture of these people having to live off of generators, and there is no gas, Um, there is no electricity, and where's the wind and the solar that are the solution for these progressive and green groups, and they don't exist, and I think that, you know, when we look at these different things and start trying to identify, you know, how important is oil and gas in our lives, we're reminded right now how important it is in just Louisiana, and every time we go through any kind of a disaster, we these are absolutely vital resources to sustain us, and it's just shocking that none of this is being brought up. Um, the American people are not having a say in what's happening here. There's also, I, I thought, David, I heard that there's a tax that they're trying to implement as well on the American people, as far as driving vehicles, they want to put a tax on that. On a mileage it. tax. A yeah. mileage yeah. tax. So yeah. it has big implications, I think, on everyone, oil and gas. And that means it's going to have big implications on all of us, the consumers. And that goes across whether you're a Republican, Democrat, liberal, progressive, whatever it may be. Dan, when we come back from break, I want to keep the discussion going of what's happening in D.C. Uh, Democrats uh, talk about subsidies and that big oil receives. And I, I want to hear it from you. Is that the case? Is that uh, the truth? But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Kim Bellato, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully as a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again the numbers 210-614-4320 or you can visit their website at SanAntonioCosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim within the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you.
0: Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com.
1: And we're back, our guest today is Dan Nats, the Executive Vice President of IPAA. Dan, I wanted to ask you a question about the Democrats. Over the last dozen years or so, they have been discussing that big oil receives subsidies. Now we know that solar and wind and other greener favorable energy sources receive a lot of subsidies. Um, But is that the case? Are they doling out big, I mean, subsidies to big oil and gas like they're doing with the EVs, which is a billion dollars subsidies that they are receiving? What is big oil getting or what is oil and gas getting?
3: Well, it's a great question, and it's something Kim that the progressives certainly talk about a lot. And would you would think that uh, uh, you know the money is just being handed out on the corner? It's certainly not true. <laughs> and the biggest, the biggest uh, one for uh, the industry overall is intangible drilling costs, and it's just the nature of the industry. Um, uh, that's a standard business deduction, but it's hard to you know you can't do that in the industry. So it's a it's a business deduction which every business has. Um, uh, there are other um, uh, parts of the tax code um, the percentage depletion that have been there for so long designed to encourage um, uh, american oil and natural gas producers to continue to produce smaller producers marginal wells which are so important so this idea that, that you know the the big oil is just getting huge subsidies is just not true again as you even talk about royalties um, uh, royalties on federal lands moving the proposal moving from 12.5 to 20 percent um, there is so much activity that has to happen on federal lands, so, so many regulatory costs that if you look at it, the success of what's happened um, in the American, I, I think that's our biggest frustration, Kim, is that if you look at this, the energy renaissance, the oil and natural gas renaissance that's happened because of the shale uh, revolution is really an unbelievable story, an unbelievable story on the ability of American uh, ingenuity a way to produce. In addition, the reduction in emissions, the reduction that's come about from natural gas, we all want to get there. Um, but uh, David, I think, brought a great point up, but we, you need a realistic approach. Um, so many of the things are just pie in the sky. And I fear um, many of the progressives um, uh and i'll say progressive not in the democratic party because there are democrats that are very much understand this are from the oil patch want to continue to to try to find solutions but the progressives are just saying look we're just going to do away with it we we're yeah. going to be done with it and then what happens and i think you can see um uh you know the the challenge that uh, it, it's just not realistic it's just not a real way for the economy to move forward but unfortunately um that's that's the the conversations that we're having to have which i think your listeners would just be shocked um at where where they want to go with this so it's a real challenge that we're facing
2: right. yeah dan it, it, it's a good point you know I always have to be careful myself uh we have some democrats here in texas uh mainly our, our south texas members of congress uh, who are very supportive of the oil and gas industry, and you deal with them all the time. Um, but there, you know, it's only three or four out of, I don't know, a dozen Democratic members of Congress that we have from Texas who are willing to do that. Uh, so I, I, I'm guilty myself of, of lumping all Democrats into these, you know, same discussions. But, you know, uh, in spite of all these attacks that are going on in Washington on the industry, it seems to me uh, just in looking at the, at the landscape with our, our rising rig count and, and, you know, uh, high, higher prices than we've had uh, the last couple of years. The industry itself here in the United States, in spite of all of this, seems to be going in the last third of this year in a pretty strong position. And I'm, I'm just curious, what are you hearing from your members on that? Do they feel like that they're you know, going to be able to maintain what well, we've had a very nice recovery this year from 2020 in the pandemic? And I just am curious what the mood is among your members and whether, you know, they feel like we'll be able to continue this progress in the industry into next year.
3: Yeah David, it's a great question. I think the mood um, always I, I was just in Houston the mood among our members is you know you, you want to find a, a, a hearty bunch of oil and gas producers that, that's what <laughs> they do. Sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but I think they their view is if you set out the regulatory regime, set out a tax regime that we know and we can trust on and we can operate, we'll find a way to to make that happen, and I think you've seen that. Uh, again, the the technological know-how, the engineering know-how, um, these guys want to produce. They want to be part of the community. They wanna they want to be an active part of. Um, you know, helping again, I I mentioned Wyoming, you know, the the people that live in Wyoming understand how beautiful that state is. They don't want to, they don't (laughs) want to cause pollution in Wyoming. Um, They understand that you can have both and keep moving forward. And so that's, I think that's the optimistic push. I will say, um, if you say to our members, uh, you're talking about a loss of uh, IDCs, you're talking about a loss of percentage depletion, you're talking about increased royalty rates and a huge Raft of regulatory requirements at some point. um, They're also businessmen and they're going to have to start to make decisions on whether not only to not continue to operate on federal lands but on state and private lands. And so, um, I'm not hedging my bets, but I think the industry is optimistic that we will be back, that we can be an active part of this, and they also understand how important energy is to the whole economy, to everything that goes on. Kim, you had mentioned the impact on local communities, but goes beyond that, um, that now the United States is an energy superpower. That's, that's a positive thing in our view. But when we're dealing with the progressives in Washington, they view that as something very different, um, very different than, uh, than certainly the way IPAA and our members view trying to have a, a cogent conversation about energy and our energy future.
1: In the last uh, couple of minutes we have, or two minutes, um, 10, 15 years from now, this energy transition is big with y'all's, op- you know, that's the discussion, and you've got renewables and EVs that are coming in the picture. The media is really hyping up everything. How many operators are left in 10 to 15 years? Is this? Uh, are y'all worried about that? Where do you feel your members will land?
3: Oh, it's a great question. You know, I I have uh, now been at IPAA 18 years and uh, that was before the shale revolution when I first got there. I think, Kim, you had people say, well, this could be, you know, there was discussion of peak oil and, and what uh, the industry, especially American industry, always finds ways to survive, to to, to handle those issues. And and again, I want to stress, um, uh, you know, we, we're we supportive of all energy. Uh, we're, we're willing to compete uh, with wind, with solar. That's a good thing. Um, but we also have to keep saying you're going to need the American economy and the world economy is going to need a vigorous uh, oil and natural gas industry that can provide those molecules to to, you know, talking about EV vehicles, Mm -hmm. Uh, if they're not being powered by solar, um, they're going to be coming from probably a natural gas uh, power plant. Um, So we have to be part of that conversation. And I go back to what David said, uh, you have to have a realistic conversation about energy. And I think my biggest frustration is anymore, there isn't a realistic conversation. Um, It's uh, um, on both sides. You know, again, I always say, our members when at the you know the drill baby drill nobody was talking about that I mean that left the impression you want to drill everywhere this is a very responsible industry they understand what they're doing Um, they're always willing to move forward so I hope um, that you still continue to have a vigorous industry I'm optimistic and and our members are but uh, you run into some regulatory challenges and fiscal challenges and you could have a very different uh, economy which will hurt Consumers hurt the public, That's right. hurt the world. That's right. um, as you're uh, as you're moving forward, so we're, it's some high stakes uh, high stakes uh, poker we're playing here.
1: Very good. Well, we are all for having meaningful discussions, hearing both sides of the the coin. But that is all the time that we have, Dan, for this show. We thank you, David and I, for coming and joining us, getting us up to speed on what's happening in D.C. And we look forward to having you back on our show here in the near future.
0: Bet. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Velotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.